So I know it's been a long time since I've done a podcast. So for this Attack of the B-Movies podcast, which I believe is episode 7, I will be featuring the movie Space Hunter, Adventures in the Forbidden Zone. Now, I, I just watched this two days ago. It came uh, as a gift. In one of the, it was called Strange Things. It's like a pack of eleven movies or so, and I was there's a few movies in there that are interesting, uh, storylines and whatnot. I don't know if I'd classify this as one of them. So, this movie came out in 1983. It was a year, I think, I believe it was a year before Ghostbusters, and I mention that because the producer of this movie is one Ivan Reitman, who you may know also produced Ghostbusters. So you figure, how bad could it be, right? Well, we'll get to that. I, I can't really say it was horrible. Um, it was directed by Lamont Johnson. I'm not sure what else he directed. I could look it up, but I'm trying to keep these down to, you know, 20-minute quick synopsis to see if you guys want to watch it or not and just give my opinion on it. The music was scored by Elmer Bernstein, and it, the movie star is classified as an American space western. And it was actually, parts of it were actually shown in 3D, and it helped. Uh, back in the early 80s, there was like a resurrection in 3D. There was like Jaws 3D and a bunch of other movies that came out that were complete shit. Uh, this one's not far off of them. It came out with parts of it being in 3D, and it was one of the leaders at the time of it. Anyways, the movie stars uh, a guy named Peter Strauss, who I, I know the name. I looked him up, and I ran through stuff. He's done a lot of voice work, it looks like, and he did a lot of TV acting, and I, I can't place him. I, I just think maybe I've, I've heard the name somewhere. But it also stars Ernie Hudson, who we know would later star in Ghostbusters and many other actual good films. Molly Ringwald, yeah, <laughs> before uh, the Breakfast Clubber days, I believe. Andrea Markovici, I'm not sure if I'm saying that right, but she was not in the movie a whole long time, and she got top billing. And uh, somebody I'm going to rename... To Michael, I'll work, I'll star in any movie, or Michael, I'll act in any movie you want, Ironside. Because for some reason, Michael Ironside, I think he's a great actor, but that guy is in, he the roles he takes, it's like he just takes whatever roles they offer him. Especially early on, and I know a lot of people did, but Jesus Christ, man, you were just in, I think Scanners was before this, and granted it wasn't a huge hit, but uh, Michael Ironside's in it. So the movie... Starts off, and they're on, we're seeing the outside of a uh, space cruise liner because, you know, oh, let me give you a little backstory too. Not the backstory, but so the movie starts off, it's like the 22nd century. It's not too far ahead in the future. About, well, we're, in, we're in the 21st, about 100 years in the future. And at the time, I guess it'd be 130 ish. Sorry, I needed to take a drink of my courage juice. Anyways, so. The space cruise liner is um, hit by space lightning. No, no, I'm sorry. Hit by a bolt of nebular lightning, and it becomes damaged, and they can't repair it, and then it becomes destroyed. They show an, uh, an escape pod leaving the ship, with, and we find out this escape pod has three, of course, they're all super attractive women, Nova, Rena, and Megan. Nova is played by Kelly Timmons. Rena is played by Alicia Shirley, and Megan is Deborah Pratt. Again, I didn't look up all their names. I'm sorry. I really, I really shouldn't have. I really should have, but I don't think it's really that important right now. So, um, sorry for the um. I'm trying to cut those out, and I just did it again. So, oh, the movie was also, by the, uh, FYI, distributed in 
uh, product produced by Columbia Pictures. So this was not like the typical B movie I knew, and I do classify as this as a B movie, even though it was at the theater because when you watch it or see clips of it, especially when uh, this hits YouTube, you'll see what I mean. So they get away in a escape pod, and they don't say if there's any other pods that survive, if there's any other survivors. They don't say any of that, which really doesn't make sense to me. I don't see how only three can survive, but anyways. The escape pod takes off, and you hear the computer saying, targeting nearest Earth-like inhabitable planet, and they crash down on this planet where the natives appear to be hostile. I don't know if I'd say they really are. I mean, we find out they're... There's two factions, as, us- as usual, and uh, the women are picked up, and they're taken aboard a pirate ship. And it looks like a somewhat, it looks like a pirate ship, except it's on rails and has and it, it but it does use uh, wind power to move. So I would think that really, um, I would think that really limits where your pirate ship is going, especially during combat, since you can only go forward and maybe backwards if you're lucky. And uh, this is the first we get to see of the planet, and it's a desolate planet. It, it reminded me of Mad Max, not the movie, don't get me wrong, but, like, the sets. It's all sandy. It's out in the desert-ish. It's, uh, the vehicles are all, like, ho- cobbled together like Mad Max, so it's got that post-apocalyptic feel. So we find out that our... So our hero, soon-to-be hero... Peter Strauss is a guy named Wolf. He's a uh, space-time sal. He's a he's a salvage, a space salvager, and he, I guess, does bounty work too. It, so he gets a message that they're looking for these three women, and that there's three thousand mega credits. The reward's three thousand mega credits. He gets this message that um, they're being they're on this planet, and he finds out this planet's been under quarantine for like decades. I guess it was a colony called Terra Eleven. It's a failed colony, and it fell victim to this plague, and a bunch of Earth scientists went there, and they couldn't do anything, or maybe they... It doesn't really stay, and that's, I'll get to that in a second. But there was a deadly plague, then there was a civil war. Um, Wolf talks to his uh, companion, Chalmers, who is played by, like I said earlier, she's... Um, what was her name? Andrea, Andrea Markovici. And talks to her about it, and his ship's falling apart. And I think it's I, I think it's Harold Ramis's voice you hear talking to him through the radio, saying, "You haven't paid your room and board. You haven't paid this. You haven't paid that. You haven't paid this." So they need the money. And she goes, "All right, let's go. I'm good with it." So they uh, hop on this four by four that he's made. We find out later that he made it himself, and he calls it the Scrambler because why wouldn't you? I mean, it's the, let's let's just get more typical names for things and throw them out there, right? So they're tracking the pod, and she and Charmler, Charmler says the pod's moving. So he goes, okay, which direction is, is it in? Well, it's obviously it's on the train, so it's not going to get far or on the pirate ship. So they chase it down, and he gets there right as a battle breaks out between the two factions. One of the factions, the ones attacking the pirate ship, are called the Zoners. And then the, we find the ones that run the pirate ship. Wait, let me think a second. Yeah. The ones that run the pirate ships are another band of nomads. I don't know how you're nomads when you're on a when your entire transportation system's on train tracks and you can only go certain places. But whatever, they're called the scavs. So the battle ensues. The scavs or the zoners want the women. 
it doesn't really say why initially, but they want the women because they're probably because they're Earth women. They consider them. Uh, I think we find out later they do consider them like clean or pure or some stupid crap, some stupid stereotypical shit. And the battle's going on, and what, there's shots being fired, and there's a shot fired at the Scrambler, and Wolf is actually not doing too bad. He's taking people out left and right, and he he uh, what did he do? Oh. So he's taking out the scabs, and before he can get to any of the women, these four hang gliding scabs come in. Not scabs. Sorry, the zoners. Four hang gliding zoners come in and just swipe the women, one for each hang glider, and they take off with them. I didn't know hang gliders could have that kind of range, but eh, it's the future. You never know. So he talks to the other team a little bit. And they say that they're going to be taken into the zone, and the zone is ruled by the overdog, their sworn enemy. And he kind of offers to help them, but they don't. Uh, they don't accept it. Like they don't. Like one guy kind of wants to ha- have them help. The other guy is concerned because their leader has been shot, and as he says, he has, they have blood loss, and just is like, well, he's he's an Earther. To hell with him. We're not going to help him, and we don't want his help. We could do this on our own. Well, the difference is the Earther, uh, Wolf, wants to find the woman for the reward money, right? He wants the 3,000 mega credits. The other people on the the, the, um, the scavs, they want to kill the overdog. They want to take back the planet because they want to they want to take down the zone, the zoners. So, you know, it's two different things, and Wolf's just like, well, hell with it, fine. He leaves. He goes back to the scrambler, and he calls Chalmers name. It's a horrible name for somebody. Chalmers. Sorry if your name Chalmers and I'm sorry your parents named you that, but whatever. It's hard to pronounce and what's your what's the nickname? I don't know. So he goes back and finds her unresponsive. He calls for her and nothing happens. She's unresponsive. And then we find out she's an android. Like he does like a self-destruct thing and she had been killed. So he self-destructs her. She melts away basically and uh he continues on his own so now he's trying to go and track down the zoners and he goes past this like i don't know what it is it's a it's a building and he opens the door and there's a bunch of skeletons in it and he's looking around and he hears the scrambler start up trying to start up and trying to leave so he goes running out and someone's trying to steal it it but lo and behold it's molly ringwald her name, is, her name is Nikki. She's trying to steal the scrambler. She claims she's an Earth, she's from Earth. Her parents came here to help fight the plague, and they're both dead, and she's been living in that building with the skeletons, and it's her home, so whatever. And then she's like, hey, if you give me some Earth food, I can, I'm can. i a tracker. I can lead you to, to the zone and to the zoners. So after a little back and forth, as is typical with every movie that has this type of plot line, he decides to take her with. Now, she's much younger than him. She's a teenager, so there's not, like... We find out that him and the android, before we knew she was an android, like, did other things other than just fly the ship. So we know that's not going to happen here, because obviously she's, like, 15 and he's 40. But it is the future, and, you know, you don't know what, what it's like in their family. Anyways, sorry about that. So, they take off. Then we find out that the... Th- did I say four women earlier? Sorry, three women that the women are taken before a guy named The Chemist. And actually, Nikki mentions The Chemist at some points in this, too. The Chemist is played by Harant Alanak. 
he's you know, if you look at the overdog as a as a villain, right? You look at him as a Bond villain, then let's say this guy's like Jaws, right? He's just an evil henchman. He's not, you know, he doesn't really have a lot going on. I guess he's a chemist. He must have been a doctor at some point. We also find out that the overdog and the doctor or the leader of the scavs were partners and the overdog backstabbed them. And that's why there's, you know, two sides in bed, you know, whatever. So the, the, um, the chemist starts giving drugs to the girls to make them calmer and pacify them because apparently they're just going to be used to pleasure the overlord. I mean, or overdog, sorry, not overlord. I keep saying overlord because that makes more sense than overdog, but whatever. So that's something, again, not unheard of in science fiction movies or movies like this or adventure movies. So Wolf and Nikki get into a fight, and he's complaining about how bad she smells. Oh, they, they, they stop to sleep. They, like, make camp. And he gets up, and she's, like, laying on his sleeping bag or something. I don't remember. Something to that effect. They're, like, together sleep. Not together, but they're in the same area. And he's, like, God, you know, basically says she smells. Throws her in a, a pond, and he, like, starts spraying or starts dousing her with soap. So as they're getting, as she's finishing getting cleaned off and, like, drying off after that whole ordeal, they hear another vehicle coming, and she calls it, she says... She knows the name of the people she believes it belongs to, but it attacks them. So it's got a plow, like a snowplow on the front, which is funny because it's a desert planet. So why the hell did there ever be a snowplow attached to something? I guess it's just for running over people or through traffic, maybe if traffic's bad. So Wolf disables, disables it. It crashes into, a, into like a, a rock. It's disabled. And lo and behold, we find it's a buddy of Wolf's from their military time. It's Ernie Hudson, guy named Washington. Finds found out finds out that um, we find out through some back and forth between them that Washington wants his help. Says he'll split the credits for him. He he says he's also still in the military. He's a sector something or another, and he's come to rescue the women. But he crashed, landed, and his ship he has no way off world. So. There's a little bit back and forth, and then uh, Wolf says, nope, have fun, see you later, and him and Nikki take off. So we go back to, now we go back to the other, to the zone again, where we find out the women are now being taken before Michael Ironside, a.k.a. Overdog, who is, at this point, much less human. Now, they don't really, I don't think they ever really say if he was human and then became a cyborg, but basically, the guy's basically cyborg, and he sits in this chair that, like, flies around. It's, like, on an arm, and it, like, swings around in, in this area. And I don't think they really specify if he was ever all human or not, but he's a cyborg. He's got metal claws for his hands, and the girls obviously are not happy about this. So, let's see. Nikki and Wolf find uh, another base for the night, and they make camp there. And they hear some noises, and they go into this one room, and there's these blobs hanging upside down that all turn out to be these giant, like, just hideous, fat, like, mutated, I guess they're human beings. I'm really not sure if they are, but I guess on the planet they are. They're just really badly mutated from whatever, the disease, the plague, uh, the chemist, who knows. So they have to escape them. They find another base, and it's got... it's flooded and Nikki's leading him through and then she disappears and we find out there's a bunch of um they're they're, they're it's a group of women and 
they're almost like Amazonians, but they can live underwater. So it'd be like if like it would be like if Aquaman's comic and world was cool. So I guess they're kind of like Atlanteans. Go with that. I guess Amazonian would be the wrong way to look at it. They're not like Wonder Woman. I mean, they're strong and all. Uh, and there's a there's a water dragon that he defeats, and it turns out they fear the water da- dragon. So he ends up escaping with Nikki, defeating the wall. He defeats the dragon, escapes with Nikki, but he has to. They leave the scrambler behind. So it's, obviously, he's going to make things a lot harder than uh, it would be with with having a vehicle, especially when they find a woman. So we, the next scene, we see them, and they're walking through the desert, and he's carrying Nikki. She's dehydrated. She's dying. He's dehydrated and dying. Lo and behold, we find... Lo and behold, they come to the street, and Washington's there driving by. And he's got the scrambler hooked up to it. And he says that he went through there. He found the scrambler. He hooked up to it. And they finally make a deal. And Washington says... Well, Wolf asks for help, and Washington says, okay, I'll help you out, but we're going to do it 50-50. And Washington gives water to them, and they formulate a plan of attack. Then they go to there's they call it the last safe space before you get to the zone, and they're there. And these two bikes show up, and these two bikes are the guys we saw in the beginning. Now keep in mind, we have no idea what the scavs have been up to. Like there's been no, you see a little bit about what the zoners are doing with the girls, but you don't or the women, but you don't see anything about the scavs. And they're kind of a they're a little bit of a big part of this, right? You would think, you know, they're trying to. Take back the planet. They also, at this, to this point, nothing else said about the plague. Has it been cured? Is it still there? Are, is, are Washington and Wolf and Nikki infected? Are the three women infected? No. Doesn't say a damn thing about it. Nowhere near it. To me, I mean, I was expecting to get hit in the eye with a flying loose end near the end when they talk about it. It never comes up. So anyways, they're in the safe zone. And again, they offer to help out. And again, it's it, well. They're talking. They don't really offer to help out yet. They're talking. Washington wants to kill the two guys, and Wolf's like, "There's no reason to. They're not. They're on for a different thing, and leave them alone." Well, then they get attacked by like a group of children, like throwing stuff, like explosives at them. So they all take off, including them. So Washington's vehicle gets Washington's. Washington's vehicle gets stuck again. So they all stop, and they're helping Washington free his vehicle. And the biker, the two guys on bikes, go go ahead to the zone. So, Ernie Hudson's character, Washington and Wolf, they they finally free the vehicle. Did they? Actually, I think I think Washington just hops in the scrambler with Wolf and Nikki, and they just go that way. I I, I don't recall. I don't know why I don't recall. I, maybe because of all the flying loose ends in this movie, that's one that didn't make a shit of difference to me. So they head to the zone. They get to the zone, which is a typical sci-fi. Oh, here's a big, here's a big wall blocking the zone off, and here's a gate. You need to talk to these guards. And they get they, we they find. They meet up with one of the two bikers again at some point. I don't remember if it's once they're in the zone or not. I think once they're in the zone, and you find out his partner was taken and put into the slave pens, and they couldn't. I guess they tried fighting their way in or something, and it failed miserably. So he joins up with them, and they're watching what's going on with the women. They're watching the games. They're, it's like evil. It's like Blood Force. Game. They're not Blood Force. It's like um, 
it's almost like what Jabba the Hutt was do- doing to people with the Rancor, right? So there's like a, a vehicle driving at this one guy, and he's running, and he gets, and this door opens, and he goes to jump, and he misses the jump, and he gets impaled, and, you know, just blood sport kind of stuff like that that you'd see in like Mad Max or whatever. It's very, it's got that very post apocalyptic Earth feel, even though it's not Earth. I guess it could be post apocalyptic anywhere else and have the same feel, right? So. So they find. Let's see. So they come up with a plan. They're going to rescue his partner. They're going to free the slaves because the slaves will be helpful in overthrowing the zone, the zoners, which seems to be a really small place. Like, I'm assuming, I, I would have thought the zone would have seemed bigger, even in a low budget movie, but who knows? So they, uh, yeah, like the zoners are entertained by capture the, by the slaver, the slaves are captured prisoners. There's deadly mazes and all that stuff, hazards, traps, whatever. Uh, oh, before that, Wolf sees the women and they're trapped in a cage. So he's like, "All right, we got to save them. Here's what we're gonna do." They come up with the plan I was talking about a second ago. They initiate the plan, and they tell Nikki stay put. Oh, but of course, <laughs> Nikki can't stay put because she's a teenage teenager right and teenagers aren't gonna listen i have a five-year-old she doesn't listen teenagers aren't gonna listen so and there's gotta be another plot device right so nikki is nikki starts snooping around and she's talking to some um she starts talking to a guard because she's like they see her and she tries lying and they don't buy it so they capture her and they send her in the maze so now wolf sees her in a maze and she's actually doing pretty good and she wins she wins the maze so let's see the overdog said if she completes the maze, if whoever completes the maze can go free, quote unquote. They rescue the girls. Nikki doesn't go free, but he's taken into the overdog's lair. And we find out that what the overdog needs is to hook in the people like her that have a lot of energy or like the women that are youthful and attract I guess attractive, they say, I think, even, which is like, what the fuck's that got to do with it? But they hook into them and he sucks, he slowly drains the life energy out of them. And it recharges him. So, as he's doing this, Wolf comes to the, comes and rescues her, and I think he jams a power a loose power cable or something into the overdog's claw, and it he gets electrocuted and it blows out like everything. The explode the fortress starts exploding because you know why wouldn't that happen? Wolf and Nikki start running, and um, Washington shows up. No, you know what? Actually, they did take Washington's vehicle with because he shows up in his own vehicle and he's got the girls with him, the women. So they have a different vehicle, which makes me wonder what the hell happened to the Scrambler. I mean, you see it again at the end, but whatever. So anyways, he's got the women with her. He rescues them. They They take out out of the fortress and explodes. And again, they don't say, is this the end of the zoners? Did the scavs win? Is there freedom? What happened to the plague? They don't say any of this again. Like there's, there are mass. You could you could drive a uh, you could drive you could fly a space shuttle. I mean, that's pretty big, right? No, what's bigger than a space shuttle? You could drive a battleship, or you could sail a battleship through the plot holes in this movie. The the some of them are pretty big. Like you you'd all be wondering, gee, shouldn't he have a mask on? Shouldn't he? Why is he just walking around? Never mentioned again. So it ends up now. The next scene is they're on. Uh, the next scene is the last scene, and they're all on Wolf's ship, and they're talking to the women, they're telling stories, and Nikki gets all pissy and goes to leave, 
And Wolf goes after her, and she's like, you haven't asked me to stay. You haven't even asked me to come with you. Like, she clearly wants to not be on that planet. She clearly wants to be rescued and not be alone anymore. And it's pretty well shown throughout the movie. It might be one of Molly Ringwald's finest performances, to be honest. Um, so Wolf tells her, I want you to come with. And he hugs her, and they walk off, and that's they show the ship take off, and hits, I guess, hyperspace. They don't say what they call it in this movie. And that's it. Says the end. So somewhere out there, Wolf and Nikki are, and maybe Washington. Maybe Washington teamed up with them. Maybe they're, you know, maybe all they're all together bounty hunting and sca- scavenging. Don't really know. Now, what did I think of this movie? This movie was out a week before Return of the Jedi in 1983. It was released on May 20th in 1983, and it emphasized, all the advertising emphasized the 3D aspects. Now, I didn't see it in 3D. I don't have 3D glasses from my projector, and I'm sure the 3D that it would have been would have been the blue and red 3D. Came out a week before Return of the Jedi. It made $16.5 million at the box office in the U.S. It was budgeted at 14.4. It made money. But I will say, it did. It, it's a lot of people said it was um, muddled. The editing took away from the, some of the scenes that were shot because some of the scenes were actually shot pretty well. Um, well, the action scenes anyway. It was a movie that, after I did a little research, the scenes that were in three. It was one of. The, it was a movie that actually used. 3D only in certain scenes. So not the whole movie was in 3D, and it wasn't gimmicky 3D. Because even watching it in 2D, I didn't see stuff flying at the screen like you normally do. So I think it kind of can be considered the grandfather of how 3D is done now. Like how Force Awakens did 3D, where, you know, not every time there was a massive 3D shot, you saw, like, something go flying past you. But it, it had a lot of... It just had a lot of stuff that was not... They didn't come together. I, I think it's a decent movie. I, I, I don't mind watching I didn't mind watching it. I enjoyed it. I'd watch it again. Uh, but it, it's just... How many screenwriters were on this thing? I mean, it had to be more than three. Let's see. Written by one, two, three, four. Anytime you have more than two screenwriters, you're in for trouble. It's what the Mystery Science Theater boys say. And, yeah, I could agree with that. It just, had, it, it just seemed like either stuff was left on the cutting room floor or not explored enough. It would have been neat to have explored along the way they find out what happened to Nikki's parents or they find out the plague was f- cured for decades and because the planet was still quarantined. You know, it was cured for decades, but the overdog didn't want anyone to know or something. It would have been nice to have seen something like that. It was pretty, it was reasonable. It was somewhat imaginative. I mean, especially at the time. So, you know, if I'm going to give, if, out of, I'm gonna, I guess I should come up with a rating system finally, huh? Out of five film reels, because I like old school stuff, I'll give it a, I'll give it a two and a half. It's enjoyable. It's better, it's better than Space Mutiny. Shit, it's be- better than Space Mutiny by a long time. I mean, um, it's better than Space Mutiny. It's not better than Fortress. It's not better than This Island Earth. Well, yeah, those two are close. It's definitely not better than Wedlock. Not better than Trancers, which I've re- which I've uh, reviewed, but it's worth a watch. Plus, like I said, I get, you get it for like twelve bucks on a DVD with eleven movies or fourteen movies, and I think Slipstreams on there, which was I think a pretty good movie at the time. I have to re- I'm going to rewatch that and talk about it one day. But 
I think overall, it's a two and a half out of five, and yeah, I guess that's where we'll leave it. I, I'm still looking for a co-host, preferably somebody in the Chicagoland area with a car that doesn't mind driving a little bit. I mean, I don't live that far away, so it would be nice to be able to sit down with somebody, watch them. It would be great to be able to watch the movie with you and then review it or do these little segments. So if it's got to be Skype, it's got to be Skype, whatever. So just let me know. You can reach me on the Facebook page. You can reach me at the website. And thanks for listening. And, yeah, you know, check out uh, Space Hunter Adventures in the Forbidden Zone. And until next time, uh, keep, I don't know, I don't have a closing remark. Uh, keep watching. <laughs> uh, so, see you later. Thanks for listening. Bye.